Hey everyone, this is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. We're going to hear from many voices. We'll uh, start, of course, with Chris Newmarker and myself, where we're going to hear from uh, old pal Paul Grand. He's got some news for medtech startup executives and uh, entrepreneurs who are interested in the medtech innovator program make sure you uh, listen for that uh sean hooley associate editor spoke with kevin sayer the ceo of dexcom and a little later in the episode i'll run an interview i did with skip keel he's the president of cranial and spinal technologies at medtronic this is from our medtronic talks podcast the one that came out recently but it was such a good interview i wanted to uh, share it with you as well before we begin, I want to mention, and we'll talk about it a bit during the episode, we will not have a Device Talks Weekly podcast next Friday. However, we've got a, a great episode, one of our other podcasts coming out on Friday. So look forward to that. So let us get this episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Marker, how are you, sir? Good, good, uh, good to be here, Tom. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. You and I ha- are having quite the hectic week. We're getting ready for yeah. our company meeting next week. Uh, we'll yeah. be flying to uh, sunny Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, good old Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, good, good view of Lake Erie. Yeah, in January, going to be fantastic. So, actually, we are looking yeah. forward to seeing our uh, our colleagues. We have not seen them. Since uh, January 2020, for obvious reasons. Yeah, so. totally. It'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, my too. gosh, and too. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good to see everybody in person. And you know, it's about it's about time we did this. And I I, I suspect a lot of people in a lot of different companies are kind of in uh and and like you know going through like you know it's kind of like a similar adventure right Absolutely. now. Like like it's like we're we're all we're all getting getting to know each other again, and you know, getting getting back to work. You know, we gotta. We got to get some things built. Like uh, absolutely, absolutely. Make, make America better. Make the, make the world better. <laughs> I think we have a little shindig planned at the at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if I'm not correct. So awesome! That's great. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah that'll be good. So uh, we bring this up just because well, we're chatting, but also uh, because we'll be so busy with that, we're not going to be doing a, a podcast next week, a Device Talks Weekly yes. podcast. But I'll be sending out a, a super awesome Striker Talks podcast that'll. Uh, That'll more than make up for uh, Chris Newmarker and I being uh, being busy seeing our friends and colleagues. So I don't know if it'll more than make up, but I mean it'll be a nice, you know, it'll it'll still be a good meal. It'll like you'll you'll still feel like fed with information. I think. Yes, yes, it'll, yes. it'll be very very satisfying. That I yes. promise. It won't. It won't be the usual like you know like you know like Bordelais sauce you know like or you know that it's not. <laughs> I mean, not the level they get with us, but you know it's it'll be good. We can. No, no, I don't think we're we're more we're more of a condiment podcast than a than an actual sauce. I think we're we're we're, we're ketchup. We're fancy I think ketchup. We're ketchup. Heinz, we're fancy man. like the little Heinz. bottles. The, the, little, the little bottles you get at those fancy hotels. You know? Oh yeah, those little bottles. I'm like, ooh, like wow. <laughs> I feel like a giant. Look at the giant. Look at my hand. It's so huge. I, I'm important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are busy, so let's uh, let's roll yes. into the new markers, newsmakers, uh, Chris Newmarker. Uh, what is well, number five on this this vaunted, celebrated list? 
Well, you know, number five on the list, uh, this is actually from uh, the previous week, but I mean, it's just getting, still getting a lot of attention on our sites. And it's just like one of these like can't meet, miss articles, I think. Um, it's uh, our, our, our associate editor, Sean Hooley, caught up with uh, Dexcom CEO Kevin Sayer, and he kind of laid out, you know, for him how, you know, they're moving. They, they have this like whole strategy of how they're going to like become more than just like a diabetes you know, treatment company, mm-hmm. like just, you know, more than just like treating, you know, you know, people who are wrestling with the chronic condition of diabetes, but, you know, like the, you know, what they've, you know, learned from each generation of their, uh, of their, of their continuous glucose monitors is going to like help them, you know, help treat a, you know, a variety of more conditions, like expanded to more areas. And, you know, just, just initially he was just, you know, talking about how the CGMs could, you know, really, uh, you know, help out with, um, you know, expecting uh, expecting moms like mm-hmm. uh, being being able to track their their blood sugar, uh, you know, during pregnancy. And well, you know what, Chris Newmarker, it was a great interview. Yeah. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna run that interview right here in you this got podcast. It? So you got we'll, it in we'll the can. The, we're run, we got I got it in the can. We'll run uh, our associate editor Sean Hooley's interview with uh, Kevin Sayer, the CEO of Dexcom. He did a yeah, great job. Fantastic. They don't need to. They don't need to hear me. Awesome, man. They don't need to hear me talk about it. Let's listen to to what Sayer actually said. Roll the tape. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for our Device Talks Fastball Pitch. This week it's delivered by Paul Grand, our friend, the CEO of MedTech Innovator. Hey, Tom, it's Paul Grand, CEO here at MedTech Innovator. Thanks for having me back. Want to let all your listeners know that the deadline is coming up January 31st to apply to MedTech Innovator. For those of you who don't know MedTech Innovator, we are an accelerator for medical technology. Uh, We have more companies who are raising capital than any other accelerator in the world. Roughly one out of four dollars every year now is going to a graduate of MedTech Innovator in terms of financing. Um, As many MedTech Innovator graduates will tell you, they applied multiple times before being accepted. It's always the right time for the right company. MedTech Innovator is in many ways like a corporate accelerator. It gives you access to strategics. It gives you visibility to the leadership of the industry and many different events, including device talks, as well as conferences like the annual AdMed meeting where All of our companies will be up in front of the leadership of the industry, investors, and others. Um, For those who wonder, oh, is it too early for me or is it too late for me to apply to MedTech Innovator? We are definitely like the graduate school of accelerators. We are looking for companies who are actually up and running, who have prototypes, who have some early evidence that what they're doing is going to work. You could be anywhere from a series seed all the way up to a series C stage in financing. They'll be valuable information and visibility and access for you at any of those stages. Make sure you apply before our deadline, which is January 31st. Anyone who you talk to who are one of our graduates will tell you, don't even think about it, just apply. You're going to get in front of investors, strategics. You have the opportunity to pitch on the MedTech Innovator Road Tour if you're advanced to that in March through April. And your company might even be invited to device talks. All 
That's right. I'm super excited to be working with Paul Grand and the MedTech Innovator on Device Talks Boston, which is happening on May 10th and 11th. We will have companies from the MedTech Innovator program presenting their stories. If you want to be one of those companies, you need to apply before January 31st. Go to medtechinnovator.org backslash apply. Now we're going to bring in a conversation that Sean Hooley, associate editor, had with Kevin Sayer, the CEO of Dexcom. Sean caught up with Kevin Sayer at J.P. Morgan, or Kevin Sayer was at J.P. Morgan. Sean was at his home office, but uh, they talked about the approval of the G7 and uh, where Dexcom is headed in the future. Let's listen. How big has this last month or so been for the company after after its latest? You know. It is, it's really been a wonderful time. It's something we've worked towards for a long time. And when you achieve that goal to get this product approved and now get it launched, it really brings everything we do together. And everybody's very focused on on what's going on here. Um, we're rapidly building inventory uh, for the U.S. launch uh, that will happen in the first quarter. And, and you know, as I talked about it yesterday, that's not going to be a bashful launch. We're going to be aggressive about it, uh, and we've got a lot of capacity to build that product. We're very confident that we can go meet uh, everybody's needs. We talked about yesterday uh, with respect to the G7 launch. We're going to have what's called a bridging program. You know, it takes a while to get reimbursement. Uh, and our product is reimbursed pretty much for everybody around the country. Uh, our, in fact, our G6 product is the most reimbursed and most covered can use glucose monitor that there is. And we expect G7 to be the same. So you have to go through processes where the insurance contracts transfer from one product to the other or just include the second product in it. Uh, for example, it'll take probably till late March, early April for Medicare approval uh, to pay for the G7. And then our pharmacy contracts will come in after that. So in the meantime, we will have what's called a bridging program where people can go to the drugstore and pay cash and buy it. Uh, We won't run that forever, uh, but we think it's important that people have access to G7 who want to go try it because it, again, it's just such a different experience than what we've had before uh, on the product front. So we're going to roll that out uh, here in the first quarter. And then over the course of the year, uh, G7 will become more and more uh, part of our business as people switch over. Now, the other thing we have going on that is a great opportunity for 23, uh, recently CMS changed their coverage decision. Uh, it isn't people who use intensive insulin only, but anybody on insulin, including those on with one shot a day, will now have access to CM, uh, CGM and will be reimbursed. Uh, through Medicare, which literally you can hear the sirens in San Francisco. Sorry about that. Uh, But literally it it doubles the addressable population of people for us to get our product to. So there is a lot of good things that'll be going on in 2023 uh, with respect to this product product launch, our expanding market. And, you know, combine that with international growth. Uh, We launched a Dexcom 1 product in Europe last year in in several countries. There's an interesting dynamic that goes on over there. The reimbursement of CGM is kind of in two categories, those with integrated systems and are considered what these these reimbursement authorities, mainly governments, consider high-risk patients. And our Dexcom G6 and G7 product will play there nicely. And the reimbursement there is quite good. But for the remaining people in the population, for example, type 2 patients on insulin, they don't pay for that product. They pay a lower amount. And our Dexcom 1, because it's defeatured a bit, We've been able to get some big wins on the reimbursement side and, and increased access in those countries. Uh, so our G6 platform will live on in the Dexcom 1 
uh, product line for quite some time. So again, a lot of opportunities for 2023 and good stuff going on. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, you touched on that CMS uh, final rule and it was something Jake had mentioned too. And so you expect that it does, you expect it to kick in this year and really, uh, I mean, it seems we like expect it, it to kick in about mid year. And, and what we said in our prepared remarks yesterday is about 1% of our revenues for the year would come from that, but that's our preliminary estimate. And assuming it kicks in mid year, if it kicks in earlier, if things go better, that could be an upside event for us. Uh, but, you know, for now we've, you know, we, we put our best foot forward. We estimate as best we can at the start of a year. And as you know, all the pieces move around, but usually our estimates are pretty close. And as a concept, though, just that that decision would obviously open up, you know, not just a lot of opportunities for you as a company, but for the diabetes community as a whole. Right. It'll help everybody. Uh, I, I I really believe, uh, you know, in respect to these basal patients in particular, again, they come from a type two world. They see primary care doctors, primary, you know, usually most of them don't have an endocrinologist. This will be the first time in their lives they're getting incredible feedback about what diabetes does uh, to their lives and how well that basal insulin shot works. Uh, if it does work, if it, and, and it'll be the same thing with their physicians, you know, here's basal insulin. And as long as your A1C doesn't go up too high, everybody assumes you're fine. But when we put these people on a CGM, what we'll see is they'll engage more with their health. You know, the mobile study that was published uh, about 18 months ago was the, really the primary evidence. There was a lot of evidence put together, but the primary evidence I think that drove this reimbursement approval was evidence provided by Dexcom. And this study showed that the basal patients who stayed engaged with a CGM got by far and away the best outcomes. And they didn't want to go off uh, the product. They they wanted to stay on. So we are excited about that opportunity. We think it'll be sticky with these individuals that they'll use it. They'll have better health outcomes. And and if they learn enough from it, then they can delay all the other things that happen because there's this path of disease for people with type 2 diabetes, they start with one compound, then two, and then three, then basal insulin, then intensive insulin therapy. The only way you can slow that progression down or revise that path is through information and making different decisions. And, and getting to a population that isn't as far down the line, I think will show great utility in CGM, not just as a, as a safety device, but as a cost prevention tool and a you know, a, a progression of disease prevention tool as well. We're very excited about this opportunity. Great. And so, yeah, ahead of, you know, a full, a full year ahead, and you've obviously cleared the biggest recent hurdle and you're preparing for the launch. Uh, I know you've mentioned, or the company has mentioned integration with insulin delivery systems, um, Dexcom 1 you mentioned earlier. So what what overall, is there anything else we can expect from Dexcom this year? You mentioned an aggressive launch. Is there any other aggression going on? Uh, in, in, in I encourage market. as much aggression as we can come up with. I, I, I think the feedback on G7 will be nothing short of remarkable. I think it'll be very, very good. You know, one of the things you heard from us financially at the conference yesterday, uh, we are going through a lot of transitions. There's a lot of operational execution that has to happen here. We have manufacturing lines for G7 that while up and running for the launch that we've had in Europe and while building the initial inventories of G7 in the US, they've never been fully turned on. And that's always a fun process at a company. We have a manufacturing plant in Malaysia uh, that will come online uh, third quarter more than likely, and start producing a commercial product that will sell. 
Uh, we've never manufactured there before. We've got new supply chain and all sorts of things like that going on, which is very exciting. But again, it gives us the ability to expand and go bigger and go faster. And we're very excited about that opportunity. I think as you look at a 23, one of the other things we really have to do is position the company long-term to go after these other opportunities. Uh, one of our our themes in my presentation yesterday is we've revised our mission statement. In the past, we have always talked about enabling people to take control of diabetes, and we've changed diabetes to health, enabling people to take control of health because metabolic health and glucose values and the information we can provide are very much synonymous. Uh, weight loss programs uh, are literally uh, all over are clamoring for CGM data to be used in their apps to give their uh customers feedback as to what's going on uh, with their health and in their lives. And it's a very good marker and very good indicator for that. Uh, we hear, you know, numerous stories about the new type two diabetes wonder drugs and they're great drugs. They're great compounds, but ultimately before we spend that much money on these drugs, a feedback loop as to how they're working is a really good idea. And a feedback loop to patients as to how their behavioral changes related to the, the compounds that they're taking is also a great market for us. We'll make progress on those fronts as we move more towards health. Uh, we expect to make progress on the pregnancy side with G7. There's no longer a contraindication for pregnancy use like there was with G6. And, uh, and, and so while people with diabetes use our product always stayed on it during pregnancy anyway, there are actually standards published by uh, the Endocrine Society and American Diabetes Association with respect to use during pregnancy and what a person's time and range should be and, and the highs they should avoid. So I, I think the pregnancy opportunity will be good for us as well. And then hopefully we can move to gestational diabetes. There's over 4 million gestational diabetes cases a year uh, in, in the United States alone. And I, I have grandbabies uh, that came from a gestational diabetes case. My eight-year-old twin grandchildren uh, their mom had gestational diabetes back when we only had G4 and I put uh, their mom on a CGM and it really, really helped uh, with the management of the condition. In fact, her OBGYN, this is many years ago, but I mean, they're eight. So it's at least nine years ago said, I don't know why everybody doesn't have this. This is awesome. So I, I, I think there's a number of opportunities just on the overall health side that touch diabetes, but as we'll move a little further out with this technology going forward and it'll be a, uh, you know, a good year of, of laying the foundation for the future as well. Awesome. Yeah. That kind of leads into one of my next thoughts, which was you obviously, you know, you're very proud of the G7 and you're expecting great feedback. And, you know, as you keep advancing with your technology, how do you continue to innovate? Cause you know, you have to go beyond that. You know, we have to keep step. changing and it's a really good question. I wouldn't expect anything different <laughs> from you. Uh, we were pretty clear yesterday, our next innovation, we have to extend the life of the sensor. We have to make it last 15 days. We think a, a longer experience provides a better experience for customers uh, and it also provides a better model for us as far as expanding and getting to more people and having more capacity. So that that is a very acute scientific need and something that we'll work on. I think as we look to the future, you can look at what our product consists of now uh, with respect you know, to the sensor probe and the accuracy performance of the sensor. We'll always look at ways to make it more accurate and ways to address things that can make that experience better for people. The G7 is the most accurate 
system that's ever been launched with respect to, to its performance in extensive clinical studies. And, and so we know we're moving up. Uh, we won't ever go backwards with respect to sensor performance. We always want to go, go forward. As we look at the rest of uh, the on-body experience, certainly there are things that we can do uh, on the electronic side to, to think differently, different radios, different signals. As we've gone through all of the uh, all the electronics issues related to 22 and supply chain and things like that, as we prepared for G7, we've realized that there are things we can look at going forward that you know, can cut costs out and, and make things better. Smaller plastic footprint. We'll look at that. I think the other innovation you'll see from us that we'll start in 23, uh, the G7 app is different than our previous apps, but we're making big investments on the software side. You know, medical device companies typically aren't software companies. We make good enough software to run a medical device. We don't make the same software experience that you have, for example, for, for an airline. You know, I, I mean, when was the last time you communicated with an airline other than through your phone or, or worst case, uh, online on the phone, on, on your computer? Uh, we will integrate more things on the software side and make that experience better for people. And we've really brought some, some high-powered software engineers from the tech world uh, into our, uh, onto our staff to help us think differently about how we iterate uh, and the, the experiences that we create. You know, uh, one of the better experiences for our customers, we do very well on the reliability front and people very much like our technical support. But in all honesty, as we break these things down and look at it, we ask ourselves the question, how much of this can we do in the software? And if we could do it in the software and make some of these experience better, again, that just position us better for the long term. So these are the things we're looking at. And then I, you know, the last piece I talked to you about is, is starting to pull all this data from health together. Uh, activity data, sleep data, heart, whatever data makes the most sense uh, to put together, we want to do. Uh, we've created a connectivity platform to our APIs whereby we can get data to anybody else who wants it. If they want to use it, we can get it to them in a, in a retrospective format uh, where it's delayed or we can get it to them live where our patient's running a Dexcom app and then that data goes to our cloud and they can come right down and feed their app directly. If that's what they want to do, and I think you'll see these relationships grow for us, and I think we'll we'll uh, very much work on changing the regulatory environment to whereby this becomes more of a health uh, matter rather than just a continuous glucose monitor for diabetes. So, those are the things that that, that'll be coming next year. Uh, You'll see good uh, progress on all those fronts. Awesome. And yeah, I don't know, you know, how much you, you feel comfortable commenting on the, the diabetes market as a whole, um, obviously, especially as you move into health, uh, broader sort of sp- spectrum, but. No, I, 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 I actually, uh, talked about that a great deal yesterday. Yeah. Um, even in our, even in our reimbursed space now, uh, in the U S market, only half of people on intensive insulin therapy have access to CGM today. And that has been defined as the standard of care by pretty much every professional society. So we have growth opportunity there. Now we have the basal users added on top of that. CGM, literally, when that basal decision comes down, will be more underpenetrated than it's ever been in the United States, or at least for the past five years. Uh, So we have a great growth opportunity on the diabetes market there. But then as we look at the other conditions related to diabetes with, you know, 20, 30 million people in the U.S. having type 2 diabetes and you expand that those markets overseas, uh, there's a lot of people uh, that we can reach and that we can help. We just have to be very thoughtful 
as to how we go after them and go after them in a way that makes sense for our shareholders and sense for us. You know, we can't take on opportunities that we can't execute. Uh, but we'll, you know, we're spending a lot of time on those things. And just out of curiosity, you know, with over the past in, in 2022 alone, you know, a number of not just you CGMs and then insulin delivery systems, you know, sort of the next generations all came through and got their regulatory nods. So I was wondering if you have any insight on what we can sort of expect from the diabetes market as a whole uh, this year without, you know, obviously asking you to predict the future, which isn't. No, possible. I think, uh, I think on the device side in diabetes, RG7 approval sets us up for obviously a launch and that'll be our primary activity from Dexcom. You'll see us continue to improve that G7 over the course of 2023 with uh, little things we've already identified our, our G7 will get integrated uh, with our pump partners uh, either during 23 or early 2024. So those patients will be able to switch from the G6 to the G7 platforms. And we think that will make uh, a big difference for those customers because, again, the G7 experience is so much stronger uh, for our customers than the G6 experience is. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think if I... Yeah, I don't see a lot of other, uh, you know, we'll continue to innovate. We'll continue to hear noise about startup companies trying to do this. Uh, we look at them all. If something is remarkable, certainly we would, we would look deeper and harder at it. What, what I see now versus years before is this industry become so big, it's much more about scale than it is just about technology. We serve so many customers now that, you can't do it on the same platforms we did when we were only building, you know, a million sensors a year versus millions of sensors a month. It's, it's changed dramatically. And, and I think our scale for our company will, will put us in a much better position, but I, you know, the insulate rollout is early. Uh, Tandem is still relatively early in their, in their Omnipod. I mean, not their Omnipod in their uh, control IQ launch. It's, it's still got plenty of legs. They have a new pump that'll be coming. I don't know if it's 23 or, or when they're scheduled for it. They'll have to speak to that, but it, it, it will be integrated with the Dexcom as well. So all these things help us and we'll give customers more choice. Awesome. Well, that, that's all I have prepared. Uh, if there's anything else you, you want to touch on, feel free. Otherwise, I really appreciate you taking the time. No, I, I, I think, you know, we didn't talk about our 22 results much at all. We did pre-announce our revenues yesterday at $2.91 billion, uh, 19% organic growth with strong growth everywhere. Uh, I think, uh, no, it's just going to be your growth and some transitions for us in 23. And we're really looking forward to the opportunity and the challenges. They're good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. All right. And we're back. Yes, no, Sean did a, a great job with that. And uh, I was, uh, oh, you know, we've been talking in this podcast a few times about what, what else could be done with the, with the G7 and those types yeah. of devices. We had Brian Bunce on here talking about how it changed his life and how he jogs now and didn't jog before, how he saw the impact that uh, I believe it was a cinnamon bun or something could have on his, his, his blood sugar levels. So, uh, Exciting stuff for for Dexcom. I kind of got got chills listening a little bit, listening to it. Well, and just even thinking like, um, I mean, you know, I mean, you think, I mean, just, just think of how tough it is to, you know, to be, uh, you know, if you have like a high risk pregnancy, oh, yeah. to be like, 
you know, stuck in, in already stuck in a hospital and then you get gestational diabetes and, you know, so they're coming in and doing finger prick tests all the time. Like on top of that, I mean, you could just like get rid of some of that. That would just be fantastic. I, my, I would my think. second child didn't bring on the diabetes, but my wife really had to be measured with every bite she took uh, to maintain a minimum level of miserableness <laughs> during that. Ugh, so, yeah, I mean, if you just stick on a CGM yeah. and be, you know, and just get the measurements and know, you know, real time what's going on, that would be just. Uh, I just can't wait awesome. to see what Dexcom uh, is into four or five years from now. I mean, hopefully we'll watch it unfold piece yeah. by piece, but that's right. We got a front row. Seat. Years from now, we're going to uh, be looking back and say, geez, remember when they just did diabetes? Right, kind of like what? What was there like some book online book company called Amazon? Like I, I guess I've I, heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. they went places. If you think they, they did, yeah. they go everywhere. They <laughs> went everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is uh? What is number four on the new Marcus Newsmakers list, Chris? Well, number four on the list. Uh, you know, I I threw you a curveball here. I just threw this in because it's it's getting so much. It just uh, you know, we're talking on uh. On, on Thursday, and this uh, posted on Mass Device just a few hours ago, but it's getting like hundreds of people looking at it. It's uh, Medtronic um, announced today that they've uh, joined the Global Health Equity Network uh, to drive uh, change in uh, health equity. Um, you know, this is like they uh, this this uh, Gen World Economic Forum. It's bringing together like private and public sectors to address health equity issues. And you know, they they said in the the company said in a quote that. Uh, you know that you know they basically said that half the world's population lacks access to essential care so it's you know it's uh you know it's it's great to see you know that you know the world's largest medical device company is you know, just you know kind of, kind of you know making a statement here that you know they they think they have like an important role here to play and you know kind of like leveling leveling the playing field for people around the world that's great no and that's uh that has been a constant theme uh or a regular theme maybe not constant uh in some of our medtronic talks uh, episodes, uh, including uh, one we ran just last year, uh, where I interviewed Karen Shahady and Dr. John DeChapel uh, about uh, what Medtronic steps in uh, in improving health equity are. So, uh, folks, should check that out. You can go to devicetalks.com and find Medtronic. It uh, yeah. ran on May 25th, and I'll include Fantastic. a link in the show notes. But uh, oh, good, I'm glad that that uh, that article is is getting uh, attention. And you know, and it, and it you know, it kind of goes along. It's like almost like an extension of you know the, that overall like Medtronic you know mission. I mean, it's drilled into everybody who's at Medtronic. But I mean, I I've always thought that's a really neat part of their story. That you know, in their early years, that you know, their their founder Earl Bakken was like, you know, what people were you know they were selling to the doctors, and he's like, you know what, I know we sell to the doctors, but we're going to have a mission statement that says, you know, that you know. Like our our mission is you know to contribute to to human welfare you know to you know to like you know en enhance and save people's lives you know and like then that they kind of drum that home in people you know and health equity like is a good like looks like a really good extension of that absolutely we've obviously we've highlighted other companies uh, Stryker and, and Boston Scientific have programs as well but yeah, uh, absolutely. it's nice. Every article that draws more attention to the need for health equity uh, is a good one. So, exactly. right, number four, what is uh, what's number three, Chris Newmarker? Hey, well, number uh, three on the list. Uh, though we have uh, Philips and uh, Massimo are expanding a uh, a partnership they have around uh, patient uh, monitoring. Um, you know, this uh, you know this is involves. Uh, like boosting patient monitoring capabilities at home using uh, the the Massimo W1 
you know, smartwatch, you know, so I, like, like really cool. I just, that just seems like another way that Massimo is kind of like going to boost what they're trying to do with all this, like, you know, digital health that at home that they're trying to do with their devices. You know, they got like this huge giant medical device company working with them on it too. That's great. And, and we had the, the conversation last week, I think it was last week, it was two weeks ago, but Apple's inf- uh, patent infringement yeah, issues I mean, with, with Massimo. So making some headway Massimo's with the really, ITC, you know, they might start getting some yeah, Apple they're, money. They're starting to throw some elbows. I don't know. Yeah. That, there's another company that'll be interesting to see what they look like in five years from now and uh, just how, how different they may be. Uh, clearly, fitness trackers and watches are a critical part of our uh, of our healthcare monitoring system now. Ooh, I just got my, my stand... Uh, my Apple Watch just rewarded me for standing 12 times over the last 12 hours. So Wow. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Pretty proud yeah, of that. Wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't know what my Fitbit's telling me right now. It's like, uh, yeah, tell me I need to get up. I need to get up, Tom. <laughs> I get walking. And it's only, it's only 437, and I've already achieved it. I did have to get up in the middle of the night anyway. Oh, um, brutal. I mean, you know. Being in Minnesota, I've got a few more inches of snow in the driveway, so that that's going to be my workout like um like very soon right oh, now. Ma- yeah, yes. make sure and uh, with your Apple Watch, I always have to use open other workout because they don't have a snow shoveling workout activity. And that no, and just right? going, Come on. just letting it measure it on its own. I always got robbed. I'd be out there for like an hour and be like five minutes of activity. These people like was, in, in Cupertino have no idea what it, how much hard work it is in shoveling snow. Yeah, they just don't. Yeah, right, California. It's like, come on. What do they know? <laughs> yeah, please. Do you think I, I don't need snowboarding? I need snow shoveling. That's where the that's where the work is. So exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the snow shovel workout plan. <laughs> exactly. Go for it. <laughs> Bend Two, with your knees. Bend three. with your knees. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you could have different settings for like heavy snow or fluffy snow. That's right. If it feels it feels very light and fluffy today, so yeah, it might not be as hard of a workout, but we'll see. Poor people are getting hammered out there. All right, what is number what is number Tell two on the it. new Marcus newsmakers? Number two on the list, we've got uh, actually we got uh, news from Abbott. They uh, you know they won uh, FDA approval for their uh, latest generation um, you know TAVI system, the uh, the Navator uh, trans aortic valve implant and. You know, like Abbott entered the the tavern tavi market in 2021 with FDA approval of the portico, but this kind of like a boost what they're offering to the next level, and they're really trying to compete against uh, Edwards and Medtronic here in the U.S. You know, where those two companies have you know dominated a lot. So it's uh, it's it's uh, neat to see more competition. Absolutely, no great this is great news from Abbott, and uh... Uh, you know the Navator <laughs> features the uh, the Navaseal the Navaseal unique uh, fabric cuff. So like kind of like that's one of the things that they're saying is an advantage of this that you know it reduces or eliminates you know the the the, the backflow of blood uh, around the bla- the the valve frame. So you know they 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 definitely are kind of like you know saying that they think they've you know made some innovations here with the you know technology that uh you know could uh you know could could you know allow them to you know like uh take take some of the market so we'll we'll, we'll see what what happens with this but yeah i mean i i mean generally it seems like more competition like can you know create more innovation so and it's this has already been like a really exciting technology i mean not not having your uh, chest cracked open to get a heart valve repaired sounds like a great idea so you know absolutely the, yeah all right, great number two, and let us roll into the number one new markers newsmakers of the week. Number one on the list, we've got Shockwave Medical. They're going to acquire Neovasc for up to one hundred forty-seven million dollars, and uh, you know this comes uh, just uh, 
just about a year after Neovask enrolled uh, their their first patient in a clinical trial of their uh, Neovask reducer. Uh, you know, and the, the company designed the device to reduce angina sy- symptoms in people with uh, refractory angina. You know, and, and they're also, you know, we had a story a few years ago that they were reportedly developing a, a mitral valve repair device, which I mean, that's a I mean, that's been a really hot space. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like talking about, I mean, you have TAV or like, you know, like, but, you know, mitral valve repair or even replacement has, has been like kind of like, you know, one of the really like, you know, next, next big things. And I know Abbott's really big with mitral valve repair already, you know, but um, yeah. So it's like a shockwave just kind of like a spanning what they're doing. That's certainly interesting news from, from shockwave medical. They started, of course, in the peripheral space. Now they have uh, they have products in the coronary space. They have transformal access space. So they're really uh, they're really building up their uh, their portfolio of, uh, yeah. of devices. Yeah, so. and, and Neovax's uh, CEO said in the news release that they uh, you know that they 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 really uh, like Shockwave's track record of uh, you know scaling novel technologies. So they they they're they're uh, they, they said they're excited to be uh, becoming part of Shockwave. You know, so that you know sounds like they think Shockwave can take take what they're doing to the next level. All right. Well, that concludes this week's New Marcus Newsmakers. Now let's hear from Skip Keel. He's the president of Cranial and Spinal Technologies at Medtronic. We'll just pick up our Medtronic Talks episode right from the start. If you'd like to subscribe to Medtronic Talks or find the back episodes of Medtronic Talks, you can go to devicetalks.com or subscribe on any major podcast player. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast, our first episode of 2023. We have a great guest for you. I had a chance to speak with Skip Keel. Skip is the still relatively new president of Medtronic's cranial and spinal technologies business. He is a med tech veteran. He's worked at uh, several medical device companies in a few different areas, but uh, with a real focus on uh, orthopedics and spine. And uh, he's also had an interesting career path. His uh, his first job was not in med tech, and I think you'll uh, enjoy hearing what he was up to. And uh, I also thought he offered some great advice for young metal device executives. So uh, definitely give a listen to that. But overall, we're going to talk about the opportunities that Medtronic sees in in the spinal and cranial space. We'll talk about Mazur and other systems that uh, Medtronic is bringing into the spine space. And uh, Skip's a great guy to talk to, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. But before we begin this episode, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Allied Motion Technologies. I'm speaking with Chairman and CEO, Dick Warzela. Dick, welcome to the program. Tell us about Allied Motion Technologies. Sure, Tom. Thank you. Uh, Allied Motion is a public company that has grown quite rapidly over the years, uh, both organically and through acquisitions. We consider ourselves a technology slash know-how company, and our individual business units or operating units, as some may call them, we actually call them technology units. That provides ownership and leadership for a particular product and or technology on a global basis. The exciting, some exciting acquisitions occurred over the last 12 months. So we had six new acquisitions and several of those were focused on bringing leading edge technology that would, can support and enhance the product line that we currently have, as well as creating and adding more value for our customers. So we see Allied continuing to grow. We see Allied looking at how 
We can bring together the right mix of technology and products and solutions to create and add more value for our customers. Well, that's a great start. We'll hear more from Dick Wurzela a little later in the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Allied Motion Technologies right now, go to its website, alliedmotion.com. Well, Skip Keel, welcome to the podcast. Tom, great to be uh, great to be here with you today. Great to have you. You were actually a guest on a, another one of my podcasts a couple of years ago, and I, I promise I won't gush as much as I did. I just listened to the podcast about your being a double-A baseball player back in the day, though I still think it's tremendously cool. But this is a, a new audience and a new opportunity. Tell us a bit about your pre-med tech career, and then we'll get into your med tech career. Yeah, Tom, th- thanks so much. Number one, I was a professional baseball player. I had a unique experience having a career before I have a, a real career. <laughs> uh, I was able to play professional baseball for, for seven years and uh, played in the uh, Phillies, Yankees, and Cincinnati Reds organization. You know, they, they had enough of me after seven years and said, hey, kid, you can't hit a curveball or a slider. You got to go figure out something else to do in life. So <laughs> I decided to reinvent myself. And, uh, you know, it was uh, one of those experiences that you learn a lot from. And uh, I, I still draw on on a, on a daily basis um, in regards to, you know, kind of business prep and plan and all that kind of fun stuff. So we understand why that career uh, came to a conclusion. How did you find your way into MedTech? You know, Tom, really, really interestingly, uh, I had always had an interest in, in healthcare. You know, my mom uh, was uh, a nurse for 36 years and worked in healthcare administration. And so I'd always been around hospitals and doctors. And, and you know, quite honestly, I was a pre-med undergrad in school at Cal State Fullerton. But, you know, when your uh, your classes conflicted with baseball practice and how you hear it was time to be a practice practice. And so kind of put that on the back burner, but uh, reinvigorated that uh, as I as I left baseball, I found myself in the training room a lot, a few injuries here and there. So I, I still had that that mentality, that mindset around, you know, sports medicine, orthopedics, you know, feeling like there was an opportunity to, to make a broader impact in overall healthcare. And I just had this kind of burning desire to really get involved and and uh, and do something different. And and so that's really when I my first job out of uh, college and, and professional baseball I was working at Stryker and uh, got in uh, on the sales level and kind of worked my way up through the company and had a nice 12, uh, 12 year career there. Well, that's a, yeah, an interesting start at Stryker. And, and uh, speaking of minor league baseball, I, I see them uh, sponsoring a lot of the games, which is kind of a, an interesting demographic. I don't know if they're advertising to the fans or to the players on the field, but you went from orthopedics to Alcon and, and in both those jobs and Stryker to Alcon and both those jobs, you worked for a lot of international companies, correct? Did, were you locate? Were you working OUS? Uh, were you just working with those divisions? What did that part of your career look like? Yeah, yeah, Tom. That that was a really interesting experience. I had uh, an opportunity when I was with Stryker to uh, move out to New Jersey or take an overseas assignment, and uh, made the decision to to move my family overseas. So I spent three years in Tokyo, Japan, running Stryker Japan, and subsequently uh, we decided that we enjoyed the experience so much and. You know, we moved to, to Europe, so I lived in Rome, Italy, uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and London. And so we were wow. in markets and had uh, the family there, and really it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, get a good understanding of global healthcare and the policies and the implementation of, uh, you know, how those policies are, are executed. You know, universal healthcare is very different than what we operate here in the United States on a for-profit basis. And so, you know, understanding how to drive meaningful value creation there is very different than what it looks like in the, in the U.S. and another, you know, kind of broader developed and or emerging growth market. So it was really uh, where I honed my skill set in regards to, you know, managing uh, leadership in an environment where you 
don't necessarily speak the language. You got to really understand and, and lean on, you know, the surgeons and the partners that you you work with and uh, spending a lot of time with them uh, in those foreign markets was was fantastic. And really, it was a foundational aspect for me running a global business uh, the last couple of times in, in senior executive roles. How much fun? I mean, it must have been a great deal of fun traveling the world, living in different cities like that, especially with a, a young family. So I can see the, the personal benefit. Curious on, on a professional side of things. Would you recommend someone, uh, someone you were mentoring to to do that because you get such great exposure, or is it not necessarily good for everybody, but it was good for you? You know, Tom, I, I have a very specific perspective on you know kind of international growth experiences, and and I would tell you, and this was shared to me by one of my mentors, you know, almost 15 years ago. You know, for every year that you spend outside of your home working environment, so the country that you grew up in, the language you speak, is like three years of. Uh, accelerated development. And, oh, and so that. when you think about um, the opportunity to live and work abroad, both on a personal and professional level, it really hones your ability to communicate. You got to be clear, you have to be concise and consistent with your message because your message is being translated into multiple languages. Um, you know, when I was in Japan, I, I worked through an interpreter. Uh, I spoke enough Japanese to get by, could understand in business conversations. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I was at the mercy of my message and making sure that you could influence the direction of travel and the business. Um, so you had to be really, you know, what I call it to be bright, be brief and be gone and making sure that you're, you're consistent in, in clarity of that message, you know, each and every time you, you get up and, and have a conversation or you're imparting expectations on a team. And as a manager and a leader, do you find yourself drawing on, you must, on the experiences from these other cultures? Because you you get to see how, how other folks do it. You get to see how other health healthcare systems run. And I have to, I just have to believe it, it informs many of your decisions you make because you've just, you can see things maybe from a different perspective. Yeah, Tom, it gives you, it gives you, um, your aperture changes per se in, in regards to how you see the world. And, you know, it's really interesting here at Medtronic and, and what we're doing, you know, we have, you know, probably one of the most robust pipelines of products and innovation. And, you know, one of the other really, you know, kind of unique skills that Medtronic has is through our diversity of perspective and the power of our people and making sure that we understand, you know, our ability to grow faster is through the uh, the leaders that we bring into the company and the folks that we, we groom in the company. Um, you know, we operate in 120 countries around the world and I kind of call it that we're all the same kind of different. You know, that means we, <laughs> we want to create uh, access to healthcare. You know, we want to eliminate healthcare inequity. What a great place to have an opportunity to do that like Medtronic. And, and so I do draw on those experiences almost daily, Tom, in regards to you know, how we show up as an enterprise, how we show up as a leadership team, how we show up as uh, as individual contributors in this enterprise. And for me, it's a, a, it's a must do in regards to thinking about, you know, the future of healthcare, because the world is changing, you know, case in point with COVID and, and having the ability to have, you know, these type of conversations is, is very, uh, uh, is very doable now. We're, we're probably five, six years ago, uh, you and I would have jumped on a plane or I would have jumped on a plane or you would have jumped on a plane and we would, you know, be doing a, a face-to-face interview. Uh, versus doing something over Zoom. And now, you know, many, many meetings are run, you know, very efficiently around the world, but that doesn't take away the experience of being in the market for the market. Absolutely. Great stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, the business you're leading to just to finish off your career story. You you went to Novasiv for, for a short time. And then when we spoke, you were uh, leading orthopedics at, at Smith and Nephew before coming to Medtronic almost a, a year ago. What was it that appealed to you about the Medtronic opportunity? Now let's take a quick break from this interview to bring back our sponsor, Allied Motion Technologies. 
Once again, I'm speaking with Chairman and CEO Dick Warzela. Dick, tell me, how does Allied Motion work with the medical device industry? Uh, great question. What Allied does is we've created what we call a solution center. And within the solution center, we have our engineering team that's trained and understands the total product capabilities and solutions within the company. So once we understand what the challenge is, what we will do is we will begin modeling it. We will then look at uh, what is the optimal solution for that particular problem. And then we will then define it. And instead of having to cut hardware, produce a product, ship it to a customer and go through that multiple iterations of testing, we feel that our ability and our increased capabilities to do simulations and modeling allows us to get it right the first time. So if everything works the way it's supposed to work, we, understand, we get, get a solid understanding of the challenge. We go through our solution center, we model it, and we come up with a solution, present it back to the customer. And if, it, if everyone agrees, it looks like that will do the job. We go ahead and produce the product and deliver. So Dick, I understand you've made an exciting acquisition in the surgical robotics space. What can you tell us? One of the most recent acquisitions we've had is provided us with some technology that we've admired for many years. What it does is, you know, the surgical robot is intended to mirror the human body in terms of smoothness of operation, so forth, and the feedback that the surgeon would like to feel through the robot. This product line provides us with a motor, which is the highest torque density in the market. It's also zero cogging, meaning very smooth operation, and it has low hysteresis drag, so it takes out any influences other than something like the surgeon would like to feel as, as if he was doing it directly and not through a robotic device. So with that, we feel that uh, it gives us a real competitive advantage to provide the surgical robot companies exactly what they're looking for. And final question, Dick, where else can we find allied motion technologies in the medical device industry? You'll see allied in a wide range of applications, including in CPAPs, ventilators, respirators, cancer screening and oncology treatment equipment, medical hand tools, dialysis equipment, nuclear imaging, patient handling, uh, for example, chairs, exam tables, beds, transport, rehab, and advanced prosthetics is another area where we excel at, powered wheelchairs and mobility scooters, stair lifts, and last but not least, we talked about Allied as a leader in motion solutions in surgical robots. Well, that is great. Thank you to Allied Motion Technologies for sponsoring this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thank you, Dick Warzela, for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to find out more information about Allied Motion Technologies, go to its website, alliedmotion.com. That's A-L-L-I-E-D motion.com. What was it that appealed to you about the Medtronic opportunity? Uh, you know, I always from afar had seen Medtronic as having this enviable position of, of opportunity. They were typically the market leader in every sub-segment that they participated in. And, you know, when you get a call from Jeff Martha, and you know, no other reason you want to pick up the phone and uh, have a <laughs> cup of coffee, have a conversation and, you know, get a little bit uh, smarter from uh, from that, uh, that dialogue. And, and that's exactly what happened. I had a, a couple of dialogues with Jeff and we talked about the future and, and the idea around you know, enabling technology and the impact it's going to have on healthcare over the next 25 years. And, 
you know, we, we really had some meaningful conversations around not only where Medtronic is today, but the kind of leadership construct and the ideas of uh, where they want to take the business under Jeff's leadership. And it was very appealing to have an opportunity to come work at, you know, not only the largest, uh, you know, but one of the most innovative medical technology companies in the world. And, and so I was very excited about the opportunity. And, you know, given uh, the opportunity to lead uh, our CST business, which is the second largest operating unit at Medtronic, you know, it's $5 billion plus in sales. And, you know, we operate in 120 countries around the world and, and have thousands and thousands of associates that work under our, our purview. So it's, uh, it's an exciting uh, intro into Medtronic, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about the uh, the, the business that you oversee, the cranial spine business. What are the, what are the the products? Parts of the body are, are are clear in the name, but what are some of the products in your portfolio? Yeah, we've we've you know, I mean, if if you know uh, the spine business, you know, we we've got you know Prestige, we've got OARM uh, from an imaging perspective, we've got Stealth S8, you know, we've got uh, you know Mazor, our robotic solution, you know, Synergy on the T left side, Solera. Uh, we can go down the list of products, but, you know, Thomas isn't so much about the plastics and metals that we participate in. It's really about uh, the ability to reinvent the standard of uh, standard of care and and uh, healthcare. And, and that was what was really exciting about coming to the CST business was really seeing the opportunity um, with this enterprise. We, we operate in such a position of strength. It was really exciting to think about, you know, if we can bring all of this together uh, in a meaningful way, what what is it really going to do for the standard of care in in healthcare? And, and I think that's for me the the most exciting opportunity, you know, because it's it's not just about the business of spine that we're in and the business of uh, restoring health, but you know, you think about the Medtronic mission. We wake up every single day, you know, focused on uh, you know alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life. Uh, it, it's a pretty uh, exciting opportunity. When you think about that, and you get to translate that into this uh, this amazing product portfolio, it's exciting. What would you say are there the two or three, let's say three biggest uh, pillars that uh, the strength is is resting upon uh, in in the business? Yeah, there, there's there's some really core aspects of what we do. You know, you think about you know kind of our infused biologics platform, uh, morphogenic bone growth protein. You know, you think about our imaging platforms with Stealth. It's it's the standard of care and, and overall navigation. And our imaging capabilities, and then you start thinking about the implants. You know, it's uh, it's an unbelievable uh, plethora of products. We we cover every major area in the spine. You think about you know neurological disorders, you, you know spinal cranial tumors, uh, spinal trauma, deformity, scoliosis, degen, um, herniated disc, uh, spondylolisthesis, uh, spinal stenosis. You can go down the list of of all these different areas and uh, disease states that we participate in. You know, we've got 150 plus major product categories and products uh, with major market leading share positions in, in each one of these major categories. You know, we operate in a one or two environment and uh, everything that we do. And it's uh, it's a pretty exciting uh, opportunity to really, again, focus on transformational quality of care that we can uh, drive in, in, uh, in healthcare, particularly in our, our spinal business today. As I said earlier, you, you previously were at Novasive, then you were de- led orthopedics at Smith and Nephew. Now you're back in the, with the spinal cranial group at Medtronic. How do you compare orthopedics with with spine as industries? Are they similar? Are they are they less alike than people think? Because they're often seen as one, but they're really very different businesses. I think. Yeah, Tom, you, you you're spot on. I think the working model is is somewhat similar. You have an implantable device. You've got working capital. You got instrumentation. But the mentality and mindset of spine surgeons versus, you know, kind of hip or knee surgeons is very different. There's a, the artistry and the tapestry of what we do in spine and 
you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, the, the focus really is, is around stabilization of that spinal column and, you know, getting folks to recover faster. And, and uh, you know, there's still a lot of unmet needs in this industry. And, and that's the focus of what we do each and every day, uh, showing up with, uh, you know, something major uh, to talk about. You know, the differences in, in you know, kind of, uh, let's just use knees as the example. It's, it's a very well-defined procedural pathway. You know, the key cell stakeholders are well-defined. Uh, you get into spine, you can, uh, you know, kind of talk to 10 different spine surgeries and you'll get 10 different perspectives on both the, you know, the patient identification and the predictive planning and analysis of, of what that case should look like and could look like. And, and so really, you know, we're in the business of standardization and, and eliminating, you know, the variability in spine surgery. And, and there's really a number of different ways we're doing that. You know, you might have heard of our ABLE ecosystem. And, and so that's a pretty exciting you know, launch that we just uh, are starting to roll out across the world. And you know, it's about empowering the patient. You know, we're, we're giving the surgeon more data uh, and uh, cohesively bringing this together and, and making sure that there's an understanding of the value creation opportunity, but more importantly, delivering better surgery and, and better outcomes, right? More predictable outcomes, which is ultimately the, the keys to the kingdom. Let's drill down a bit on, on ABLE. What is that offering to surgeons and to patients and how does data fit into it all? Yeah, Tom, Tom, ABLE is really uh, AI-enabled empowering technology, right? There's this convergence of connectivity in regards to whether it be a robot, whether it be an implant and, and the data infrastructure, right? You know, so right now we have cloud data infrastructure. Uh, we, we've got really accelerated profile of product development. So all this is informing, you know, the way we bring products to market. But, you know, there is this convergence that's going on and, and the enabling uh, empowering technology of implants connected with navigation, with imaging, uh, with robotics. And, you know, we're, we're doing a lot in this product category and, and really allowing us to differentiate ourselves uh, fairly strategically because there's really uh, the only company in the world that can really offer all of these products uh, is Medtronic and uh, the craniospinal technologies business. And you start thinking practical applications of uh, a patient that is interested in, in spine surgery, they can you know, download an app and, and get a bi-directional interface with a surgeon in their area and, and get a good understanding of, you know, patient-reported outcomes and, you know, kind of how they're feeling, they're, they're monitoring their pain, and then we're enabling the surgeon to have that discussion and, and really through administration of uh, a couple of these uh, vehicles, you, you get a, a better understanding of whether or not that, that patient is a surgical candidate or one that's uh, a wait-and-see and, and manage, uh, you know, both improved pain or mobility and, you know, you need unique focus on, you know, psychological parameters, uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, when we actually have that discussion with the patient and the, and the surgeon, there's a preoperative component to it. There's an interoperative component to it and a postoperative component to it. So, you know, think patient education, think prehab versus rehab. Uh, and then there's, you know, patient reported assessment. You know, we've got, you know, components to, to wearables here. So this is a really uh, unique value proposition and, and really where we're empowering the patient as well as uh, enriching the, servant, the surgeon's insights on that patient and, uh, you know, which will in, inform the surgical plan, you know, at the right patient, at the right surgeon, at the right time. So th there's a lot to this and there's there's multi-levels, you know, we call it kind of concentric rings uh, when we start thinking about the power of uh, ABLE uh, and, and what we're going to be delivering to marketplace. So, so when do the patients begin touching the outer ring? Is it when they're first feeling a bit of back pain or when they first are, are trying to engage a surgeon or are they, are, are they already in, have they already seen a surgeon or a physician when they're hitting those outer rings? 
You know, it's it's a combination of both, Tom. Okay. Uh, you know, the the, the patients uh, typically know that they've got some form of uh, you know back pain, and then the understanding kind of it's a multi stakeholder model. So some of this is driven through surgeon engagement, direct to consumer, um, but patient identification and patient engagement is largely. Uh, delivered through that that application and making sure that we understand kind of, you know, hey, exactly what's your starting point? Again, you know, making sure that they understand their pain points and, and what are the problems they're trying to solve and, you know, what, what, you know, whether it's getting back to work, whether it's picking up their grandkids or whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, running marathons or, uh, you know, doing the like. I think there's just so much mystery and fear when it comes to, to back injuries and back pain and spine surgery that uh, something like this must, I would hope, work to dispel some of that. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, we, we've got just, uh, you know, some great folks working in this organization. And you think about, you know, we're in the business of, uh, you know, restoring health and alleviating pain. Those first two tenets of our mission are spot on to what we do each and every day. And, and again, it's less about the plastics and metal. It's really about, you know, understanding the experiential aspect of, of having surgery can, can really weigh on someone. And we want to make sure that we, we give them a good level-headed perspective on what to expect both, you know, pre-surgery during surgery and post-operatively on, uh, you know, whether it's a self-diagnosis or preventive care, and you combine that with a uh, robotic or minimally invasive uh, spinal procedure, you know, the, out- the output of that approach is, is world-class. And I think that's what you're starting to see in the marketplace today as we kind of continue to, uh, you know, separate ourselves from the competition. And it's pretty exciting. You know, our current trajectory, we have, you know, an enviable, uh, you know, kind of portfolio of technology you know, both smart and connected uh, devices that, you know, are going to enable greater efficiency, drive improved outcomes, and and really create a more connected environment. Uh, and, it, and it creates a little bit of a seamless experience from the patient's perspective, but more importantly, the healthcare teams inside and outside the OR. So it's, uh, it, it's something we're spending a lot of time and money on and investment on the innovation lifecycle of, uh, of ABLE, again, that AI-empowered enabling technology. You know, you mentioned Missouri. I want to get into Missouri in a few minutes, but uh, the other approval you had this year was, is it the Unity Spine Analyzer planning platform? Yeah, it's a Unit custom spinal implant rod. So we can come in and, you know, you do a, a CT uh, and or an MRI and we bring that information back and we sit with the surgeons and we do a preoperative plan. And, you know, you get a customized rod uh, that's, uh, you know, absolutely based upon your physical presence and, and understanding kind of what that looks like and feels like and making sure this the surgeon uh, you know can talk you and walk you through the level of correction you're needing uh, in that procedure it's uh, it's it's really something that we're very proud of and, and you know we've got uh, over 12,500 patient records uh, running through that already uh, wow. today and, and so we uh, see that as a, a great opportunity to converge you know robotics and, and the active tracking of the output of those software platforms on a go forward basis. And I, I think Brett Wall talked about this at, one, at our Device Talks West conference. Are these the rods that, that gold standard had been the surgeons basically, are these bent by hand to sort of initially, and this is an improvement upon that? Yeah, this, this is a massive improvement upon yeah. that, you know, depending <laughs> on your level of correction. You know, you, you think about anybody, uh, you know, building a house, it's, it's kind of the, the adage of how I explain it is really, you know, it's like sitting down with a, a design and development engineer when you're when you're going to go do a remodel on a house versus a new build and knowing what you get into on a new build is pretty straightforward, right? You can scrape the land, pour the pour the foundation, lay the uh, the roof, and and put the walls and everything up. You know, as you get into a remodel, there's you, it's like peeling back those those layers of unknown, and that's exactly what spinal surgery has been over the last number of decades. But yep. you know, when you really get to the point where you can empower 
uh, the surgeon with the data enabled technology and, and they can do a preoperative plan and they interoperatively contest that plan and, and postoperatively it really drives a, uh, a more cohesive uh, output and, and ultimately you know at the at the end of the day here uh, this is really around you know driving that that connectivity making sure we can secure the output outcome there and then converging the the data enablement with the implants and that's really where we're going to be taking this over the number of years here Let, let's take this opportunity to talk about about Mazur. Uh we talked about comparing and we compare and contrast orthopedics and spine earlier I'm curious, where does Mazor fit into your spine portfolio? Is it is it at the the center of the wheel with all the spokes kind of leading to it and all the data collected in, in robotic spinal surgery going outward? Or is it something more that's off to the side, but will be brought in for only certain spinal surgeries? Yeah, Tom, Tom Mazor is really one of the cornerstones of our technology solution. And you start thinking about ABLE, right? The AI-enabled empowering technology you know, our, our whole focus around uh, the implementation of spinal robotics is around creating a great surgical plan with the surgeon that's really very specific to that particular patient and making sure that we we import that into the operating environment. And Mazor is actually there to help execute on that. You know, the enabling technology, when you start thinking about, you know, the, the world of connectivity in a go-forward basis where we can uh, augment the surgeon's ability and, and capacity and power uh, you know, that solution to be delivered, you know, you start thinking about tissue characterization, segmental tracking, uh, you know, bone cutting, bone removal, all these type of things, you know, in, in the world of soft tissue robots, right? You know, with our Hugo solution, you know, we see that, uh, you know, being implemented in the spinal uh, area of, uh, of our business and really enabling that surgeon to operate on the on the patient with uh, the, the great patient selection plan, you know, we have an image-based analysis and, and really to get, you know, great longitudinal analysis, interoperable feedback. So there's a lot going on in the world of robotics, but it's it's not just robots. It's really around, again, how are we empowering uh, that surgeon into augmenting uh, their ability to deliver a, a plan more seamlessly executed in the OR. And how are you approaching, just sticking on, on Mazur for a moment, this is an area in spine that where some competition is coming along with, with uh, spinal robotics or surgical robotics in spine. You're, interestingly enough, almost in a, in a space where, like another robotics player, where you're, you've got the lead right now. How do you work to hold the lead? Do you work to hold the lead? How do you view these competitors coming in? Is someone you need to keep an eye on, or do you more just stick to what you're doing and, and, and continue to do what, what got you to where you are? Yeah, Tom, we're, we're always keeping an eye on our competition for sure. But what it does is validate the approach and the thesis of, you know, the impact of, of robotics and, and total healthcare, right? And, and what we're doing is actually creating, again, those concentric rings, start thinking about, you know, the benefits of all key stakeholders and reinforcing our ability to close the loop on that total technology system. And that's where we are really differentiated, again, going back to that, that kind of concentric ring and, and able around our ecosystem there. You know, there's really no one else in the marketplace that can deliver the data and analytics and create the procedural standards, you know, with with what we're doing in, you know, predictive planning and making sure you're using the right implant at the right time and, and the right level of correction. And then really managing that outcomes, uh, the outcomes and, and the tracking of those postoperatively, you know, you know, so both the thinking about the patient, the surgeon, the hospital, the payer and the various partnerships that we are participating with. This is what really separates you know, us versus our competition. And, and, you know, we welcome the opportunity to compete each and every day, but really at the end of the day, we're competing with ourselves around how much better we can make our ecosystem. And, and really the focus is around, you know, product and procedural efficiencies. And, and that's really the, the, the intent of what we're putting together. And ultimately, 
that that'll have a, a, a fairly sizable clinical impact and a, and, a, and a financial impact as we create a fully converged environment where all of these topics are coming together. Looking at the spine injury itself, where spinal surgeries are being done, how is that changing? Are you seeing a rise in, in ASCs like in other specialties? And if so, how is Medtronic addressing or, or pursuing those customers or serving those customers if they're already your customers? Yeah, Tom, we, we definitely are seeing a transition to ASCs, not not as fast as you were seeing in maybe, you know, kind of knee procedures and, and even in sports medicine. You know, some of the more complex spinal procedures will always be done inside of the healthcare hospital environment, but we are definitely seeing a shift to the HOPD and then for sure in the uh, the ASC setting. You know, we, we predict that there's going to be 30 to 35% of total spine procedures done in that outpatient ASC setting. You know, think about ACDFs, you know, two two level fusions, things like that on a go forward basis. But you know, again, I, I think we're well positioned in walking through that evolution together, whether it be, you know, a, a segment of the business that's focused on empowering through technology, or is it really just a, a simple in and out procedure, day-based procedure? And and we see that as is really unlocking the uh, the the patient and you know, there's always going to be this this push and pull in regards to the environment uh, from a financial perspective on on where actually surgery is being provided and, and whether or not it can be delivered in a safe and ethical, efficient manner. Interesting. Let's just take a moment to talk about the, the cranial part of the business. What exactly constitutes that? What offerings do you have up there and, and how do you see that uh, that changing? Yeah, uh, Tom, great, great question. So we have a, a cranial navigation-based business, skull, skull tumor removal you know, it's really a nice business for us. We we see a large level of utility there. You know, there's some areas that we're gonna we're gonna double down on. I love the the brain aspect of what we do, both from a neurological perspective, but you know, neurotumors, and you know, we have a great uh, product portfolio in our, our CSF business and with hydrocephalus. And you know, we're pretty excited about you know the direction of travel with that group. And there's some great innovation coming out uh, over the next 12, 18, 24 months there that. It really will, again, create additional separation uh, from us and our competition. And uh, that gets uh, pretty exciting there. You know, we, we, we love uh, the opportunity. Again, we're a, a neurosurgical company. And, uh, you know, anything related to head, neck, cranial uh, tumors, we're going we're gonna to spend time unpacking and, and understanding if we have the ability to, to be the market leader in any one of those particular areas of clinical speciality. Interesting. Going back to the spine, uh, any other products we want to talk about? I know you had Ligapass, the ligament augmentation system approved this year. Uh, any other new approvals or, or products that we should hit upon? You know, Tom, we are really excited. I won't get into the specifics of, of kind of what's coming, but I can tell you that, you know, the innovation life cycle at our, our spine and biologics business is as healthy as it's ever been. And, and we're projecting a record-breaking number of new uh, implant technologies coming out over the next, uh, you know, two calendar years. We've had record-breaking, you know, impact here in, in the most recent couple of quarters. And, and evidence of that is really, you know, our uh, U.S. space core spine business was up 15% year over year wow. uh, last quarter. And, and I would venture to say that was highest in industry. And really, you know, it's rarefied air, especially a company of our side delivering that kind of you know, mid uh, double digit growth, that, that's pretty exciting. And, and we have high expectations for our, our innovation pipelines on a go forward basis, both on the spinal and, and cranial side of the business, as well as our enabling and powering technology business. That's terrific. Final question, and that kind of leads into, into this final question. Where do you see the spinal business and spine surgery five or, or more years from now? With the, with the influx of data and imaging and all that's going on, 
spine just seems to be an area that this is all so necessary because as I said earlier, there's just people get back pain and it changes every moment of their day. And there's a certain, as you, you sort of mentioned that you can talk to different surgeons and get different opinions of what needs to be done. It seems like the veil really needs to be lifted off of spine surgery. So how does this change? How does this industry and, and how do the technical offerings change in the next five years or so? Is this a sort of a transformative period for spine? Tom, I would tell you this is absolutely a transformative period for spine. You're seeing the digitization of everything, right? right? Across, you know, uh, even in handheld devices, you know, you and your wife maybe, you know, have a conversation about uh, a trip to Fiji and then you look down at your phone and then you've got, you know, four or five different travel companies that specialize in trips to Fiji. So <laughs> AI is uh, is alive and well. And, and, you know, our focus is really around agile product development, you know, and that, that really leverages the digitization of that process and the approach and the ways we can accelerate new product design life cycles. You know, we, we are really focused on innovating in high growth core markets. We obviously have talked a little bit about uh, Able and, and the digital ecosystem, but you know we're creating connected products and solutions that really differentiate both today, tomorrow, and into the future. And, and, and really, the, the power of data and technology and machine learning and deep machine learning and, and uh, uh, AR and VR is something that we're going to really see kind of infiltrate our, our industry. And, and we are at the forefront of that. We're, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars in regards to creating the digital surgical ecosystem of the future and, and creating those digital strategies to really unlock growth. And more importantly, deliver better surgical outcome, more predictable surgical outcome. You know, again, the evolution of transforming from plastics and metals into a digital health platform is, is kind of on where we see the business on a go forward basis. And you know, there's just a, a great opportunity to, you know, seize the momentum and software as a service is another thing that comes to mind and really creating a personalized customer engagement platform and, and real-time customer feedback, patient engagement, surgeon engagement. So there's just a lot going on and, and we are seeing this evolution of, of healthcare, particularly in, in where we serve uh, the marketplace. And there's definitely a transformation that's going on in the industry as well as uh, here at CST and inside of Medtronic. Fantastic. Well, great stuff. Well, Skip, happy anniversary to you. You're you're celebrating one year at Medtronic. Thanks for sharing your story and your and cranial spine story and for joining us in the podcast. Tom, great to be with you and I uh, look forward to connecting with you in the new year. Sounds terrific. All right, Chris Newmarker, that is a wrap. We had to kind of go a little faster, I think, than we normally do. But uh, as we said, we're hey. busy, busy, busy That's and right. look forward to seeing Seeing you next yeah, week. Yeah, it's gonna in, be great uh, to Cleveland. see you in person. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting. Yeah. So, uh, where can folks find you out there in virtual uh, LinkedIn land? Oh, the best thing, you know, yeah, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker, and uh, always happy to connect. Always happy to, you know, uh, like you know, chat medical devices. So you know. Like, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. You know, it's a great way to like follow all the news we're covering on Mass Device too, because I'm posting away on there. Absolutely. Lots of lots of great stuff on there. I'm on um, uh, lots of great content from you on there. I'm on LinkedIn as well, uh, Tom Salemi. And uh, please do share this podcast episode when you do connect uh, with Chris and I. You get a like, so we can be- follow, subscribe. I don't think I got there yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm telling them to share right now. We're talking about sharing. Sharing. But, uh, Sharing. sharing is sharing is caring. Yeah, Share right. this podcast episode and connect with with Chris and I, yes. and uh, with Chris and me rather. And uh, we'd love to be part of uh, of that talk. And uh, yeah. yes, Chris Newmarker, what do we want people to do? Get a like, follow, subscribe. Absolutely, subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. 
You'll get future episodes of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, of Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks, and other great podcasts coming soon your way. And uh, the only way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe. And uh, also, please subscribe to Medtronic Talks on any major podcast application so you don't miss any future episodes of that fine, fine podcast. So with that said, that is a wrap. As I mentioned uh, earlier on, we won't have a Device Talks Weekly episode next week. But we've got uh, a, a very meaty Striker talks coming your way. Great conversation with uh, with one of the leaders at Striker, and uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise. But uh, I had a really good talk, really good time talking with her or him. So uh, that's it, Chris Newmarker. Yeah. I will see you in Cleveland. See you next week in Cleveland, and hey, take care, everybody. 